Well, thanks, Mark. Good morning and welcome. I want to add my welcome to Lachlan's. My name's Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here. I love this part of the Bible. Uh, John was one uh, section for me that really had a grip on me uh, when I was thinking through, can I trust the promises of God? Can I trust Jesus really is who the Bible claims Him to be? And so I, I love this section of the Bible. I've been looking forward to coming back from holidays and kind of opening this with you. But I wanted to start this morning by um, letting you know we've deliberately skipped out verses 1 to 11. Uh, it's not because we don't like them, it's because they're not part of Scripture. Uh, you're like, what? Um, if you have a look at your little footnote in your Bible, you'll see that there's a little footnote saying the best manuscripts don't have this in. This is, um, I'm convinced this is not part of God's inspired word. If you want to know more about that, I'm not going to cover much of it in this talk, but there's a little thing that we put together in the outline. Have a read of that or come and ask me questions afterwards. Happy to answer those. Why don't we pray and, help that, uh, and ask God to help us to see Jesus as he sees him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come together this morning and we've heard your word spoken to us, we ask that by your spirit you would draw us out of our blindness, you'd let us see Jesus clearly today and to think through how we respond to the true and living God. We pray that you'd speak and change and comfort and challenge us. In your son's name, amen. One of the most magical moments I've experienced living in Auckland uh, was lying on uh, the field at the Domain uh, during the Lantern Festival. It was after Uni Church one Sunday night and we'd gone to the Lantern Festival and there were all these kind of people there, these great lights, it had a real buzz. And then it came time for the fireworks and so I was waiting on the side of the Domain field, just lying there. Uh, and then it began with the first thud. You know those massive fireworks that you feel in your chest and you're like, oh, and it sends that shiver down your spine and then the sky just lights up with kind of explosion of light after light after light and everyone around just can't help but smile. Have you ever been one of those moments where the fireworks just make your face light up and the night light up? Everyone's like, ooh, ah, oh. you, you can't help it. It just comes out because you're like, wow, look at this. I love fireworks. And this sense where you see bright lights like that, such a display of colour and brilliance, you can't be helped but to be drawn in. As we get to this part in John 8, we find Jesus in the midst of a festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. It wasn't really the Lantern Festival, but it was a festival in Israel. And on the eighth day of that festival, they had this ceremony called the Lighting of the Temple. And they didn't set the temple on fire. Uh, but what they did was they got these huge 23-meter lamps, these massive kind of lights, and lit them up, four of them, around the temple. So it was said that all of Jerusalem was lit up by these massive lights around the temple complex on the mount. It would have been an amazing place to be. The city lit up with light. There was singing and dancing all across Jerusalem. The celebration of this filling of the temple lights was really about two things. Firstly, it was about looking back, looking back to the day when, when God brought Israel out of Egypt and protected them with this massive pillar of fire. I want you to imagine for a moment a pillar of fire guiding you, protecting you, taking you through the desert uh, and bringing you through the wilderness and this symbol of God leading his people. The lighting of uh, the temple was a celebration of the light of Yahweh. The true and living God, a celebration of his goodness and saving power to Israel. So they lit up these lights at the place that was symbolically the, the place where God's presence dwelt. And the city would have been filled with people singing and celebrating as they'd been taught to do through the Psalms, like Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. 
Uh, Psalm 18, Lord, you light my lamp. My God illuminates my darkness. Remember the Psalms were the songbooks of Israel? It was the Spotify playlist they'd subscribe to so they could listen uh, to God's word in song. The songs of Israel and the lighting of the temple looked back to God's saving works. And it was a great sight. But it also looked forward. It looked forward to the day when God's promised Messiah would come. His promised King and bring light to save the world. So Psalm 43 verse 3 says this, Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. The lighting of the temple was a celebration of the God who brings light into darkness and a longing for the day when that light of God's promised king would come. And it's in the context of that very celebration that Jesus says these words in John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Do you get how astonishing this claim would be in the context of this festival? Lit up is the temple place and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying here is that he is the only light that matters. The light of the world has come. The day of God's promised king is here. This festival is about me. And like Israel in the desert who followed the glorious pillar of fire that showed them the way, following this light of the world is the only appropriate response to Jesus. You see such a bright light, like moths, we ought to follow him. Jesus says the one who follows him will never walk in the darkness. As the true light comes, he lights up not only himself seeing who he is, but he lights up who we are. The problem is all of us as, as people and the Jews that he came into the context of here were in the dark. I want to show you how Jesus lights up who we are. And it's point two if you're following along in your outline. John 8 verse 34. Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the sun sets you free, you really will be free. Like a spotlight into the lives of people, Jesus shines this light to show us the reality that we and they are in the dark. So the Jews, they saw themselves as the, the sons of God. We're God's promised people. We're free. We're Abraham's children. Like Nothing can happen to us. We're the blessed people. We've got the promises of God given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're sweet. God is our God and we can just, we're just in because I'm a Jew. But then Jesus, the light of the world, comes and shines into the world to say, you are slaves to sin. And he goes further to say, you're enslaved to Satan. I don't know how you feel about that. Lots of people love Jesus' teachings and think, wow, he's about love. He rocks up here in this generation amongst the light of lighting of the temple and the festival of light and says, you people, you are slaves to sin. Now, we hate the idea of slavery, and rightly so. The catch cry of my generation most definitely, and most probably yours, was we want to be free. We want to be free to do whatever we want, any old time, right? That's the song. That's how it goes. We hate even the idea of someone saying that I can't do something. If you're like me, if someone says you can't do that, I immediately want to do it. I'll show you. I can do that. 
I've got this kind of sense in me that I can choose what I want to do. And when people say, you know, I didn't, I didn't choose to do this, we cry out, well, that's not fair. Because we think that we are free. But Jesus comes along and says, oh, no, no, no. Every single one of us is a slave and sin is our master. We like to think we're free, but Jesus is clear. No one is free. You are a slave to sin. And the reason he gives us for that is that, well, because we all sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Uh, If you want to prove that you're without sin, it's simple. Don't sin. (laughs) But to prove you are enslaved to it, just try. And you'll see you you can't but help to reject God's way and and fall into serving yourself like I do. We, We give in daily and hourly to serving our own desires and not God's. We think we are free, but we just can't stop sinning. I once met a man who um, claimed he was sinless. Uh, I met him at at, at a previous church. He claimed that uh, he had been a sinner, but God had saved him, and now he he did not sin at all. And we're having this discussion with him after church one week. uh, And he's like, no, definitely, God has brought me to the place now where I just do not sin. There is no sin in my life. And I said to him, is there any chance that you live by yourself? And he's like... Yes, my wife left me a number of years ago. It's sad, but I'm like, I think that's the only way you could be so deluded to think that you never sin, is that you're not around anyone else. No one's there to say, hey, you're arrogant. Hey, you're selfish. Hey, you left your clothes beside the bed. Hey, you're not helping around the house. Right? Because when we live with others, it shows up how selfish we are. We got going on further in the conversation, he was kind of like, no, no, I've gotten to that point where I don't sin, I'm not like the sin of the world. And he, he talked about how Elvis kind of danced in a sinful way, sorry, danced, just translating, um, danced in a sinful way, and the way he moved his legs, and, he, and I said to him in the conversation, are you, are you sure that, like, what was sinful about that? Was it what he was meaning by the way he was acting when he was moving his legs in that kind of sexual way? Um, or was it actually the, the physical movement of his legs? He's like, oh, no, it was definitely the movement of his legs. Problem was, he then showed me the movement. And I said to him, Joe, at the end of the conversation, you definitely are a sinner because in this conversation, you've sinned. He's like, I have not. And he was kind of really taken aback. I said, you have. Because I said, did you say to me that moving your legs the way Elvis moves his legs was sinful? And there was someone else in the conversation, so he had to say, yes, I did say that. And I said, did you then move your legs in that way? He's like, but I was only showing you. I mean, but you told me moving them that way is sinful, so either you lied or you sinned. <laughs> Next week he came to church with a Bible verse on his shirt, uh, which kind of was saying that we are sinless, trying to claim that from 1 John. Uh, I asked him to remove that and not to talk to people about his view that you could be sinless. Uh, he went to the newspapers and asked that uh, a story be said that I was kicking him out of church for, for wearing Bible verses on his, church, on his shirt. Uh, the newspaper rang me, we had a chat, they were fine, it didn't go to press. Um, but there you go. Something about this claim to be sinless, we really want to hold on to deep down. We would love to do it, but the point is we can't. We're powerless to our self-centered passions, even when we're so deluded as to think that we can't sin. We still do it in defending the fact that we're sinless, like Joe did. We're all addicted to this idea that we're in control, that we are the center of our world, and that's what the Bible calls Pride. That's what causes us to reject Jesus, the light of the world, is the fact that we love darkness. We do it of our own accord. We see something that we know we ought not to touch, and like Adam and Eve in their garden, it looks good, and maybe it will be beneficial. So I'll reject the true and living God. 
because I want to be in control. I want to set the rules. That's what the Bible calls sin. And Jesus says we're all enslaved to it. Not only are we enslaved to it, but we are, we are under the power and, and, and the leadership of the one who is the father of all lies. We are Satan's children. How's that feel? <laughs> Look at verse 42. Jesus said to these Jews, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I'm here. You are of your father, the devil. Ouch. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Sin, right? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Happy day for the Pharisees as they meet Jesus. Satan is your dad and you display the family likeness. That's what he's saying. It's pretty full on. But it's exactly the same for all of us whose natures are like our first parent, Adam, who've rejected the true and living God. Naturally, left to our own, Satan is our dad. And we bear the family resemblance. There's only two camps. You're either like God and part of his family, and so trusting in his son fully because he's brought you to him, or you are like Satan. And anyone who sins has nailed their colors to the mast. We are sinners. And our dad is Satan. Our actions prove that we are enslaved. You're probably sitting there thinking, that's pretty full on, Ron. That's pretty like, I don't really feel like Satan is my father. But if, if we sin, that's the reality. We need to be bought out of this. And so we are enslaved to it, Jesus says. We enslave ourselves to Satan when we reject the true and living God. And that's a position that we can't get ourselves out of. We can't kind of go, yep, well, I'm just going to stop sinning. Look, look at verse 43. Why don't you understand what I say, Jesus says? Because you cannot listen to my word. He didn't say because you didn't listen to my word. He said you cannot listen to my word. They can't listen to his word. They can't accept what he's saying because their father is the devil. Jesus is crystal clear. We cannot get ourselves out of slavery to sin, nor to Satan. No one can. Our very human natures are so hell-bent on rejecting God and his ways that we're intoxicated by self-service and pride. What we need is someone else, someone who is not enslaved to sin, to step in and pull us out. The slave can't say, yes, I'm just going to get out of slavery today. No, they're enslaved. So the sinner like you and me. Friends, this morning hear Jesus very clearly as he lights up who we are. We are sinners. Our very core is to reject the true and living God. We are in slavery and we are helpless in that. There is nothing we can do of our own other than God stepping in and bringing us out. We need someone who isn't enslaved to sin and Satan. We need someone who does the Father's will and speaks the Father's word. That is who we need to pull us out. And that is who this passage lights up. Because Jesus lights up who he is. He lights up who he is. Look at verse 46. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me, he says to these Pharisees. The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you're not from God. Here Jesus is claiming to be the sinless human. What is he claiming about himself? I don't sin. Now is Jesus kind of crazy or off the planet? Is this guy that I met at church that week, is, 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 he, is he actually just gone a bit mental? Well, think about it. 
He can at this moment look his enemies in the eye and not say, I'm not a sinner. That's not what he says. Look carefully at what he says. Who among you can convict me of sin? In other words, show me. Here you go. I lay it right out. Show me where I have sinned just once. Show me what I have done wrong. It's not just a claim, but it's a challenge. Show me my sin. Show me how I don't do the will of my father. He's laying it down for them. And these, these are the Pharisees. These are the, the legal gurus. They know the law. But listen to their response in verse 48. The Jews respond to him, Aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and a demon? So he said, Show me I'm a sinner. And they've gone, Samaritan, demon. What's going on with that? On the issue of doing your father's will, they're saying, What is your paternity, Jesus? You're a Samaritan, remember? You're a half-breed. Remember that kind of ambiguity around your birth? You know, that, that, that you, you, your mother was not yet married to Joseph? Now, a Samaritan was someone who was kind of half Jew, half Gentile. And so they're saying that Jesus, you know, at this point, you've come along, you're claiming to be sinless, but really, you're an illegitimate child. I want you, I want you to get the weight of this. I wouldn't usually say this. They're saying, you're a bastard. You're an illegitimate child. That's who you are. They're calling him names and they're getting dirty at him because they can't claim he's without sin. It's like schoolyard politics. I'm just going to call you names. And if that doesn't work, well, you're possessed by Satan. We'll just chuck that in at the end and make it okay. These are the best theological minds in all of Israel. They're the Pharisees. They know the law. They've spent their lives working out every nuance and permutation of what is right and wrong that is given to us in the law. And the only thing they can come up with when Jesus says, show me my sin is... A name, Samaritan, and demonic. There's nothing. To the charge of show me my sin, they come up empty-handed. And that's because they can't prove anything. Because Jesus is the figure Isaiah promised would come. Jesus is the sinless one. He's the one that is not enslaved to our sin. Look at what Isaiah said in 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Isaiah was speaking of one who would come to be the saviour, the one who would take our sins on himself, the one who had done no wrong, because that's who those who are enslaved to sin need. A saviour that is not a sinner. Jesus is the sinless human. As the light flicks back on himself, he is saying, in me is no sin. Not only is he the light of the world, not only is he the sinless human, but then we get one of the most startling statements about Jesus I think exists in the Bible. I, I love it. Come with me and understand why this is so startling. Look at verse 49. Jesus answers the kind of challenge. I do not have a demon, Jesus says. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews say, now we know you have a demon. Told you so, you're possessed. That's the kind of comeback. Why? Abraham died, right? Our father Abraham, the one who we kind of followed, who's been given these promises, he died. And so did the prophets. They died. You say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets who died? Who do you claim to be? 
Do you get it? Abraham died and he was the father of our faith. The prophets spoke God's word to us and we have it here and they're all dead. And here you come along and you say that you can offer life that does not die. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Who do you think you are? Verse 54. If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. And Lord, I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to just tell you of my own accord. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one that glorifies me. That's a kind of boom, drop mic moment. The one you claim is your father, he says I am who I say that I am. And what's more, he continues, you don't know him, <laughs> but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, the Father, God, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So then Jesus just kind of adds another one into the mix. He's kind of making them irate because he's claiming to be someone huge at this point. Abraham, your father, look forward to the day. Now, what day did Abraham look forward to? The day that the promises of God will be given to him, that I would make you into a great nation. And through you, I would bless all the nations. And I'd bring you into a land and a land that would last forever and be many peoples flocking to you. And all nations will be blessed through you. Abraham was looking forward to that day. It was very clear he longed for that day. And that's what the Jews had been looking forward to and longing to. If Jesus had said Abraham had rejoiced to see the day of the Messiah, the Jews would have been happy. Totally. It's exactly what he's on about. He's looking forward to the day of God's promised king who would bring in his rule where all nations would flock. That's what we're about, waiting for the Messiah. But he didn't say that. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. The Messiah is here. He saw it and was glad. The day of the Lord, the promised king coming, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees in this festival of lights, is here. I am the light. I am the sinless son. Then they kind of continue in their playground politics. You think you know what Abraham rejoiced over? They kind of go, what? Who do you think you are? You think you know about Abraham? Listen to you. You blow in from Nazareth. You walk around. We've been studying the law all these years. You come up. You haven't been active for all the years. One year, you're popping around. Two years, you're in the, the temple. Who do you think you are? How do you know what Abraham looked forward to? Like you weren't there. You're only 50 years old. And you can imagine the schoolyard politics, right? You can't know what Abraham thinks because you're not like as old as Abraham. That's what they're saying. You're only 50. You weren't around when he was there. How can you know? We've been following the kind of traditions and the laws and, and, and the scriptures. And we've been looking into them as Pharisees with kind of twiddly moustaches and long beards and thinking through this stuff. How can you walk in? Who do you think you are? John 8, 58. And here's the startling statement. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. The moment those words left Jesus' mouth, they picked up stones to kill him. Why? Because they recognized he was claiming to be God himself. He was saying that I am. Were you alive when Abraham was? Well, the way that... Jesus knew about Abraham, sorry, the way the Jews knew about Abraham was through their Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was written by Moses. 
Moses wrote down everything that they had. The story of Abraham, the promises, it all came from Moses. And at the start of Exodus 3, God calls Moses into this whole journey of what he's going to do, of, of saving a people for himself. And he tells Moses to take God's people from slavery out of Egypt and into the promised land, that he'll make them into a nation. Listen to the way he does it. Exodus 3 verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Jesus rocks up to these Jews and says, I am. You meet God in the person of Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you meet Yahweh. The true and living God. There's no questions about it, no shadow of doubt. Jesus is the light of the world, the perfect, sinless human. And God himself, the great I am. That's why they want to kill him, because he's claiming to be God. They get what he's claiming. This is no mistake. They don't think, oh, he's just got his grammar wrong. They, they go, no, he's claiming to be the true and living God. And that's why they want to kill him. If you think Jesus is a prophet... If you think his words are true and that he's got a good moral thing to follow, it is impossible to hold the view that Jesus was a good man with good things to teach us, yet reject him as God. It's impossible. Before Abraham was, I am. The festival of tabernacles, the lights are lit up, the light of the world, the perfect son, God himself has come. And he's come to bring freedom to the slaves. And that's where we see Jesus as the light of freedom. See, if Jesus were a mere man, if he was sinful, he couldn't rescue us from our sin because he's not perfect. But because he is perfect, because he is the true and living God, he is the only one that can reach in to pull us out of our rebellion against God, to deal with our rebellion and to bring us out of slavery. So the only way that entrenched sinners like you and me can be set free is if God reaches in and shines the light of truth into our lives. Look at verse 34 again. Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. If you're a slave in a family, you can't get yourself out of slavery. You're stuck there. You're enslaved. But the son of a family, he has the right to liberate the slave because he's the only one who is free in this. He's not enslaved in that family. He's he's a son. Jesus is saying, I am the son. I am God. I am the perfect sinless savior. And I can pull you out of slavery. True freedom is not doing whatever we want. True freedom is displaying the family likeness of the family we were created to be a part of. It's living our lives as those people who are made in the image of God. That's freedom. Living within God's bounds, God's ways, serving God. True freedom is displaying the family likeness of the family we were created to be a part of, 
the family we left when we sinned, and the family for whom Jesus is the only way we can re-enter. Jesus says that unless you believe him, unless you listen to this light of the world, you will die in your sins. Friends, we are enslaved to sin. We cannot get ourselves out. There is nothing I can do, nor can you. But Jesus has stepped into the world. The light of the world has come. And he's saying that unless you believe in him, unless you trust his word, unless you listen to him, you will die in your sins. Although you were created for God, you have made Satan your father. We have made Satan our father. Unless we come back to Jesus, we will die with Satan as our father. We will die in our sins. Have you ever given any thought to where you'll die? That's a bit of a morbid thought, I know. But where, where, where will you die? Will it be in a car? Will it be in my sleep? Will it be when I'm, I'm awake? Will I die when I'm laughing? Or maybe when I'm crying? Will I die in, in my happiness? Or will I die in depression? Every one of us is going to die. Death is going to come to each person. Where will you be when you die? Jesus says, whatever you do, do not die in your sin. Do not die rejecting the only light that can break us out of our darkness. The only sinless saviour. The great I am is saying, come to me. Let me shine my light in your life. I am the way, the truth and the life, he will say. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whatever you do today, do not go on thinking that it's okay to just die in sin. Do not die saying no to Jesus. Jesus tells us we are from below. Our sin has changed the way we are, but we don't need to stay below. We are from this world and Satan is our father, but we don't have to be left in this world. The claim of this passage, the claim of the Son is let Jesus light up who you are. Let him show you your sinfulness and your brokenness. Let him rip you out of our slavery to sin. And let him lead you like that pillar of cloud did Israel through those years to full salvation. Finally found in Jesus. That is the only way to freedom. So today, come to the light of the world. The sinless saviour the true and living God, and follow him. Let's pray. Father, it's so amazing to sit back and see glimpses of, of who you are, more than glimpses, to see the brightness of, of Jesus as the true and living God. We are so thankful that you have not left us alone in our sin, alone in our darkness, groping around trying to work out life, that you have come and brought many of us from, from darkness to life. We pray today, Lord, that your word would do its work. You would help us to keep trusting you, to keep serving you, and not fall into the, the errors of the Pharisees, thinking that they're, they're sweet, they've got it all sorted because of some heritage. But you would draw us to yourself to trust your son and see that only he can draw us out of our sinfulness. So this day we ask, Lord, to to light up Jesus in our lives, that we might live for him and find true freedom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.